morning, everyone. It's such an honor to share with you um, on such a morning that's already so celebratory. So um, my name's Rachel. If you don't know me, I'm the one who got roasted up here the other week um, about having a distraction problem when I go to Target. So I just wanted to fully own it this morning. I am the sinner with the red card. I am the one with no self-restraint when it comes to the dollar spot. So I'm just going to own it. Um, you know, bless, I'm married to Mark, so he's my husband. Bless his heart. He had so much to remember with his sermon that day that he forgot to leave out a detail when he was telling the Target story. And um, that is that Mark has been distracted at Target before. I would like to bring forward the evidence now, please. See, Mark, while you were sleeping last night, I was going through your closet, and I picked out every shirt that you bought from Target. Thank you, Alex. You're welcome. That was unplanned. Let's, let's pick out one. Oh, this is a favorite. The referee shirt. You guys have seen him preaching this one before. Yes. Target staple. You want to pick another one out, Alex? No, okay. let's do this. Oh, wait. Who is this guy up here? Look at Alex has shoes on. What? All right. So I just wanted to set the record straight that um, even the saints among us can get distracted at Target, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <clears throat> but I saved 5% when I did my shopping. <laughs> you paid full price. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop, I'll really stop. <laughs> okay, this morning... I have felt how the disciples have felt, and, and you have felt how the disciples have felt. The passage that we're looking at today, they have been traveling around with Jesus. I mean, we've been, we've been walking through the book of Mark. They've been seeing Jesus teach to thousands, and, and his popularity is growing. The disciples have actually been given the power to start healing and delivering people. So they have had a jam-packed schedule. You can imagine like the faith high that they are on from all that they are seeing and doing. And we see their humanness. They're tired. They're worn out. Jesus himself says, yeah, let's go retreat to a solitary place and take a rest. Has anybody been there before? The point of exhaustion, doing good things, ready for a rest. And when you have the promise of rest and time away, there is literally nothing better than that. Especially if you're an introvert like me and you need just to get away from the noise for a couple of days and to process and to recharge your batteries. Um, something that I've learned is really helpful for myself that I try to do annually is take like two to three days to get away and do a solitude retreat. And we have done this for the last eight years. Uh, Mark has been gracious to prioritize this for me and um, make sure that I can get away, even though it's gotten more complicated now that we have kids and, and you know, life and everything like that. So last August, I, um, I was, had my two days of rest put on the calendar. I had booked this adorable Airbnb. I think we have a picture of it. It was uh, the Hummingbird Cottage is what it's called. It's so cute. It was one bedroom. It's um, in this little kind of like mountainy town called Vista, which is just north of San Diego, if you've been there before. And this just, oh my gosh, I was so looking forward to this. I had done all the prep, got the kids' like food ready, got Mark's food ready, you know, just all this stuff, made sure people had clothes to wear. And I was on my way to Vista for these long-awaited days of rest. 
And um, you know, last summer I was using an iPhone from like 2011, so my GPS is not wasn't super accurate at the time. I'm getting closer and closer, and I cannot get to that little red dot where my destination is. And my GPS signal drops, and the phones just start spinning like that. And I kid you not, I spend 45 minutes probably driving back and forth the same mile. I'm missing an entrance somewhere to this little cottage. I finally find it. So I'm a little bit, you know, frazzled getting there. But I find it. It's so cute. It's even better than it looks in the pictures. I walk in the door. It's an odd hint of sulfur. It's kind of weird. And I get a message from the Airbnb owners that say, hey, um, there's a giant a construction project going on just over the hill. So my cottage looks out onto this beautiful hillside. It's just empty land, just rolling hills. They're building track housing there. And they just told us they had to shut off the water to everybody in our region so your cottage doesn't have water. And I notice this, the sulfur smell gets a little stronger as I go to the bathroom, towards the bathroom. It's like water is just sitting there in the pipes or something. But don't worry, it'll be turned back on in an hour. So I'm like, okay, not a big deal, whatever. So 14 hours later, the water comes back on and I'm able to flush the toilet and wash my hands and take a shower. But it's okay, I have a whole day before me. Ah, this long-awaited rest. They send me another message. Rachel, we are, we are so sorry. This has never happened to us before. Um, the developers just let us know that today is the day that they are going to be detonating the, the mountain to make it level to put the houses in. I mean, literally, they were saying, like, oh, valley be raised up, oh, mountain be made low, you know? I don't even think they knew that song, but that's exactly what was happening. So they're going to be lighting dynamite off. Um, you know, between one and five, you're probably not going to want to be home for it. It will shake the cottage. It will sound like a very loud explosive is going off. So just maybe not be here for that. Cool. Like the only day since 2018 where I could take an afternoon nap and a bomb's going to go off. <laughs> I end up having a fine night out and whatever. I'm packing up my bags the next morning. I did have, I did have a good time. Um, and as I'm getting ready to leave, Mark texts me, hey, I just want to let you know that uh, Eden got her first haircut. It's oh, kind of a weird thing. I thought we would have done that together. You know, it's sort of a monumental moment there. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to give you the heads up. So Parker was playing with slime, and he put the slime in his sister's hair. And the only way I could get it out was to just cut it out. And he sends me a picture and says, it's not that noticeable. It's just right here. <laughs> and so my little daughter has an alfalfa sprout when I come home. Have you been here before? Long-awaited rest, just completely interrupted. Let's open up, if you have your Bibles, or if you want to grab one, there's orange Bibles in the seat backs in front of you, to Mark uh, chapter 6, we'll be in verse 30, it's on page 686 in those orange Bibles. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to their Airbnb, a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them. This is the reply of Jesus when met with an interruption. It's not, oh, I'm going to throw up my out-of-office responder on my evils. It's not, oh, hey, can you text one of my disciples and make an appointment for tomorrow? It's not, uh, one of my personal favorites, I'll admit it, when you see somebody from a distance in the parking lot or you're on a walk and you just look the other way and pretend to not see them, or maybe you even pull out your phone and pretend to have a fake phone call. Oh, gosh, am I the only one who does that? Okay. Well, now you know I'm probably not talking to a real person. I just don't want my quiet time to be interrupted. But Jesus, at this interruption, does not show one hint of irritation. Something deep is happening to Jesus here. When he sees this crowd that he describes as a sheep without a shepherd, he experiences a deep gut punch of empathy. The Greek word used for the compassion that Jesus is experiencing here, it's only used a few other times, and it literally means like a visceral body reaction where you feel it so deeply to your core that you can't help but be put into action. You can't help but do something and act. At the sight of people in need, even in an inconvenient time, Jesus isn't bothered. Even though we've just learned he's tired, he's worn out, he told his disciples, guys, let's go eat together and rest. Why? Why does Jesus respond like this? Because he is the good shepherd. There were a lot of shepherds in Jesus' day. It's not like they were lacking shepherds. But the problem is, is that most of the shepherds didn't care if there were a few needs of their flock that went unmet. Jesus, he's a true shepherd who feeds his sheep until they have no more need or no more want, even when it's not convenient. And as I've been reflecting on this, you know, I think a lot of Christians, they want to be used by God. They have a willingness, like, God, send me, or they even describe themselves as being on fire for Jesus. Whatever that actually means, I don't know. <laughs> they want to be sent. They want to be used. They, they pray, God, make me available. And then they wonder why they don't get a lot of opportunities. They just feel like they're stuck in a holding pattern, just waiting. I think... Kingdom opportunities are often disguised as interruptions. Kingdom opportunities, they rarely come when your schedule is wide open and you're just looking for something to do. Kingdom opportunities often come at the most inconvenient of times. If you want to be used by God, we have to reframe what we see as interruptions and inconveniences as holy opportunities to extend the kingdom of God to a lost and hurting world. I remember um, a situation like this pretty clearly that I had been in. Um, it was about five years ago, this month actually, Mark and I were pastoring at a church in Cerritos, and we had just gone through one of the hardest weeks of our marriage. We had been pregnant, I had been pregnant. Well, you know how that works. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is gonna take a, a deep turn here. Um, we were expecting and we were really excited. And then out of nowhere, we were blindsided uh, with a miscarriage. 
and our first child died. And I didn't really know how to process that. It wasn't on my radar at all. I took my three bereavement days from work, and then I went back. And uh, I was sitting in my office, just emotionally still pretty numb, and I just, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to just retreat and stay within the safety of my little office walls and just get the week over with. And I got a text from one of our uh, high school girls, I'll call her Lauren. Lauren had had a rough upbringing. Her parents were in and out of the picture. She was living with her grandparents. Lauren would be what we would call a sheep without a shepherd, just lost, wandering. And uh, she had started to attend youth group pretty faithfully. We started to see her life change when she encountered Jesus. And she started serving on one of the, the ministry teams that I oversaw. And so when Lauren texted me, hey, Rachel, can I come to your office today? I really need to talk to you. I didn't want to. I wanted to push it off. I was just not there. I didn't, I didn't want to make time and space. I didn't have the energy. But I just felt this little nudge, like, ah, I know I'm supposed to say yes and meet with her. So she comes into my office at the end of the day, and her countenance is just kind of heavy. She's 17. She sits down on the couch. I'm like, hey, Lauren, what's going on? She says, um, well, I wanted to talk to you about this because you just had a baby die, and I just had an abortion. And this is, this is already, like, becoming very complicated for me. But she says, I, I had no intention of getting pregnant, but then, you know, I, I found myself pregnant, and my mom told me that there was no way I was going to be able to go to college next year if I kept this baby. I'm the first one in our family to even get a shot at going to college. So my mom made an appointment for me and dropped me off and told me to handle things. And I just feel like I made the wrong choice. And I made a mistake. And honestly, what I'm really afraid of is that God is mad at me. This was an opportunity a very inconvenient time and interruption where this lost, wandering sheep needed to be reminded of the love that her good shepherd had for her. I just, I remember feeling like, man, this interruption ended up being a holy opportunity and I drove home so convicted over that. She needed to be reminded of how much God loved her. What if the next time, it's probably going to happen this week, you get an interruption, you get inconvenienced. What if instead of just the normal default response that we all have, you pause and say, God, show me if this is an opportunity for your kingdom. It's not like Jesus was the only shepherd available to this crowd to respond to their need. They had plenty of religious leaders to go around. The problem was, was that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were not doing what they were meant to do. As one a commentator, David Garland, writes, he says, Jesus did not seem to care how big the temple stones were, how big the budget was, or how many showed up for prayers and sacrifices. All he cared about were the results of religiosity. What he saw were spiritually and physically hungry people, 
wrapped up in all sorts of religious red tape. Diedrich Bonhoeffer describes what it feels like to be a sheep without a shepherd. Maybe you can remember a time where you felt like this. There were questions, but no answers. Distress, but no relief. Anguish of conscience, but no deliverance. Tears, but no consolation. Sin, but no forgiveness. Just as in Jesus' day, there are sheep without a shepherd all around us. There are sheep without a shepherd all around us in the Chino Valley. I'm not even sure our eyes are open to see all of the needs of how they're disguised. I was just uh, driving with my kids the other day, and we were stopped at a stoplight. And uh, I just happened to glance over, and there are two guys. They have, like, their construction vests on. They're going to work, and they're just smoking joints on the way to work. I'm not even sure, like, what's legal and what's not anymore in our state. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> my first reaction was like, oh, that's so disappointing. And then I felt like the Holy Spirit saying, Rachel, those are the sheep without a shepherd, lost, looking for something to fill this emptiness inside, looking for something to fill the void, just searching, purposeless, wanting to desperately know that they are loved by the creator of the universe. Maybe they don't even realize that's what they're missing. The lost don't need good advice. The lost are starving for good news. Let that sink into your mind the next time that you see somebody who is hurting and acting out. The lost don't need good advice. The lost are hungry. They're starving for good news. When Jesus sees that hunger, what the disciples called an interruption, he is moved with deep compassion to do something about it. And so here's what happens next. We'll pick up back in verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place. They're being very logical here. It's already very late. Send these people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and they were satisfied. Remember that word. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. And that's just the number of men. They didn't count women and children in their census counts back then. So realistically, this is probably a, a crowd of 10,000. What looks like an interruption 
ended up being the backdrop for a miracle. What looked to be an interruption was the backdrop for a miracle. I love just how the disciples' minds are working here. I think about Peter kind of being the mouthpiece for this scene. They're not being irrational. Jesus has been teaching all day long. Remember, this is their scheduled day off. They start to see that it's getting dark out, and they're like, okay, we have thousands of people here. We're in a remote place. There aren't a lot of food options when it gets dark. If you're from a small town, you can relate to this. I grew up in Indiana. After 10 p.m., your food choices were steak and shake and steak and shake, because even Applebee's closed at 9 p.m. They're like, Jesus, let's dismiss them now. They can go buy their own dinners. They can go to the nearby villages, and they can get something to eat. We don't want them to be hungry, too. This is very logical. Remember that Jesus' disciples, they hadn't had time to eat themselves either when they start this day. And the way that Jesus responds to them, honestly, must have been infuriating to hear. They're hangry. And Jesus says, you feed them. This is just getting ridiculous now, Rabbi. I mean, how are we supposed to feed this crowd? I mean, just a couple weeks ago, when you told us to start following you, you said, don't bring any money, don't bring any food, don't bring anything besides the shirt on our backs. So where on earth are we going to get the supplies to feed this crowd? Do you know, Jesus, that, that it would take 200 denarii, which is a year's worth of wages, to cater a meal for this group? Are, have you lost your mind? Okay, fine, fine, we'll go and check. We'll see what food we have. Um, okay, fine, we, we found one loaf, one loaf of bread. This was probably gonna be Matthew's midnight snack. It's a little crusty. We found one loaf. Guys, can you find any more? Okay, they have four more. Four more, Jesus, there. There's five loaves. This was the actual size of, of a loaf back then. Oh, James, do you still have those two dead fish in your pocket? Cool. Okay, let's throw those in. Here you go, Jesus. Make a miracle out of this. This is what we have. You can hear the stress in the disciples' voices as you read this passage. They're in a place that we've all been. They are exhausted. They are out of resources physically and emotionally. They don't have anything that they need to do to complete the impossible task that Jesus has put before them. Their stress levels reveal that they have very little inkling still at this point that their teacher has divine resources to supply whatever they need. What impossible thing has Jesus put on your plate right now? Like what's, what's the thing that you're dreading going back to tomorrow or even revisiting tonight or the next time that you're at a family gathering or the next time that you're quiet and by yourself that you don't even wanna stop and think about because it just feels too impossible? Like God, I can't actually find the freedom from this addiction that's enslaved me for years. It's just too impossible, it's got too much of a grip on me. God, my marriage is, is, is it's just, it's not possible for this to be restored and fixed. God, you want me to start serving? Why, why do you want me to start serving? Do you know my schedule? Tithing? What? I, can't, I can't give. I don't have anything to give. Do you want me not to be able to pay my bills? Jesus, 
You make that, that dream for that new business, it just, it won't go away, but this is not the right time. I am not the right person for this. I am not qualified. This is impossible. Many of us also have very little inkling about the divine power that our Lord and Savior has to supply the needs for our impossible assignments. You feed them, Jesus says. That's you and that's me. What we have to understand is that the radical way that Jesus has set up his kingdom to come from heaven to invade earth is through partnership with his people. He chooses to involve us in his work of redeeming this place. And one thing we have to realize is that it actually will be impossible to do what Jesus has called you to do apart from partnership with his Holy Spirit. Like, so you are very right, just like the disciples, to feel logical. It is impossible. You're right. It is only possible to do whatever thing God has called you to do in this season or in your lifetime through partnership with his Holy Spirit. That's the way that he has set up the kingdom to invade earth. Jesus works his miracle in this situation once the disciples open their hands and say, okay, Jesus, you may be crazy. I don't understand how this is going to pan out, but here's what I have. Take it. Here's what I have. It's yours, Jesus. That's when the miracle happens. And, and when this takes place, the crowd, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Those are leftovers. Those are leftovers. There is an abundance. God supplies not just what is needed for this impossible task, but in his graciousness and provision, he provides an abundance. Some of us need to be reminded today that God doesn't operate like this. He doesn't keep his fists clenched. I mean, I don't, I don't think you could sit here and listen to the story of God's provision for our church without realizing that he is an open-handed, generous God who can do impossible things. And he's just asking us, would you open your hands? I want to partner with you. I want to let my kingdom invade the lost and wandering earth through you, my disciples. I'm sure that there are skeptics here who think rationally about this. Like, the math just doesn't compute. Five loaves, two fish, it does not equal 10,000. So how does this happen? This, this doesn't make sense to the rational mind. And you're right, it doesn't. The only inkling that we get to the secret ingredient to feed the thousands is the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of the living God at work. Any attempt to rationalize this text dismisses the miracle working power of Jesus. So Jesus performs a miracle here. This is often called one of Jesus' main miracles. One that we would call supernatural, right? But what if, what if this is actually natural? What if it's actually natural? What if everything that we see and call supernatural is actually natural? And what I mean by that is what if miracles are just a snapshot of God's created order in which there was no need. Nobody was physically or emotionally hungry. 
Nobody ran out. All the needs were satisfied and satisfied in abundance. Healing was given. Deliverance was given. Provision was given. Grace and forgiveness, they were given. When we experience those glimpses of God's kingdom breaking in today, we call those supernatural miracles, but actually what those are, they are just a natural infusion of our future. That is God's created order. God's created order is one of abundance and where needs are met and and hearts are satisfied when they find their place in right relationship with the creator of the universe. That is natural. That is God's natural created order. But the problem is is that we're living in a world since sin entered the scene in Genesis 3 that, that no longer reflects God's natural order in the majority. But guess what? He's partnering with you and with me to bring his kingdom through these supernatural miracles so that our world would start to look a little bit more like heaven, so that the Chino Valley would start to look a little bit more like heaven, so that our schools and our church and your family and your workplaces would start to look a little bit more like heaven. This is the kingdom. And Jesus shows us that he is the true good shepherd sent to usher in this kingdom. And if you don't believe me, here's where it gets really cool. See, this is not the first time that God um, issued a miraculous supply of food for his people. You remember Israel wandering in the desert for years. God continually supplies manna, bread, honey to meet their needs day after day. Moses was their appointed leader. And they'll eat one day, and then they'll complain and grumble the next. The cycle happens over and over and over. God's provision meets the need in unsatisfied people over and over. In Numbers 27, 15, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community. This is some shepherd language right here. To go out and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses, in his tired exhaustion of leaving an unsatisfied people, he's basically asking God to fulfill the job description of a true shepherd. Will you send someone, God? Will you send someone? Jesus, in this scene, is able to provide for the people what Moses could not fully provide the people in the desert. They were never fully satisfied. He struggled with a whining, discontent crowd with the Lord's provision in the wilderness. But Jesus here, he shows himself as the true good shepherd and the greater Moses by satisfying the crowd. Remember that word, they all ate and they were satisfied. Moses led God's people through the wilderness to find deliverance from their slavery to Egypt. Jesus here shows up on the scene as our true good shepherd who has come to lead his people, that's us today, from our true enemies of sin and death. And he does so on the cross. I just want you to remember back Uh, to a time that you found yourself wandering, that you felt just lost, like a sheep without a shepherd, 
You may have been wandering for purpose in your career. Gosh, I just don't, I don't feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. Bouncing from meaningless relationship to meaningless relationship. Why did, why did none of these things fulfill me? Trying all the substances, all the vices that this world would try to sell you as the counterfeit for the fulfillment of your soul. <sighs> maybe, that, maybe that's you today. Lost. Wandering, hungry for something, just perpetually unsatisfied. Maybe you even believe a lie that you're, you're broken and that there's a need in you that can't be satisfied. This morning, God wants to remind you that he is the good shepherd who not only sees you and you're lost and wandering, but he is so moved to compassion when he sees you, his dear children, lost and wondering that he has moved to meet your need, whatever that is right now, whatever you're facing. Jesus sees you, and he doesn't just see you, but he has moved to the point of action to do something about your need. Our greatest need was separation from the Father. Our greatest need was to be reconciled from what sin had created, this wedge between us and our creator. God was so moved to do something about that need that he sent his perfect son, Jesus, to pay the price on the cross, to fulfill the impossible gap, and to make reconciliation with your heavenly father possible. I want to invite the worship team back up. It's fitting that today's the first Sunday of the month, and we get to celebrate corporate communion together. So if you want to reach down uh, to the right leg of your chair, and you'll find a little communion cup. If you're new to Jesus, still checking out the faith, there's absolutely no pressure um, to participate in communion. When Jesus saw our need for a true shepherd, and he met that need, he covered all of our sin with forgiveness so much so that the bucket ran over. That there are just bucketfuls of forgiveness in abundance for each and every one of us today. Jesus reminds us when he takes the bread to feed the 5,000, he foreshadows us to us that he is the bread of life. He is the one who has come to truly satisfy the hunger of your soul. He was the one who allowed his body to be broken for you on the cross. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, just as he had done before the crowd, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, this is broken for you, and this cup, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, poured out for you. Every time you partake of these elements, do so in remembrance of me. So this morning, brothers and sisters, I invite you to take the cup, you can lift up the little tab to take the wafer, the bread that represents Jesus' body. And you can drink from the cup and be reminded that he's a good shepherd who has come so that your soul may be satisfied with eternal life through forgiveness made possible by his son's death on the cross. Let's partake together. As we head into um, a time of response, we're going to have 
our prayer team available up front. And it's on my heart to just, um, to ask for whoever's feeling like they're faced with something impossible in their life right now, to receive prayer for that thing, whatever that is. That you wanna be open-handed and say yes to Jesus. I need partnership with your Holy Spirit to do what you've called me to do. I wanna invite you to get prayer over that this morning. But as always, come and get prayer for anything that you need, healing, if you wanna give your life to Jesus for the first time, if you've strayed like a lost shepherd and you wanna find your way back, whatever need you have, we have a gracious, loving Savior who has more than enough to meet that need. So as I pray, I wanna invite the, the prayer team up forward. Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd, the one who has come to give us life and life in abundance. This morning, Jesus, we recognize that you've positioned each of us to be your hands and feet to this broken, hurt, and lost world, Lord. Would you recommission us? Holy Spirit, would you show each and every person here what you've called them to do this week with their time, talents, and treasures so that your kingdom might come in the Chino Valley in greater ways this week than last. We give this time to you. Holy Spirit work like only you can do. Let's worship. Amen.